0: Hello, welcome to Dyslexia Explored. This is Darius, your host, Darius Nonduron. Today, I've got with me in our second part of this podcast, I've got a specialist dyslexia tutor who is the founder of a company called Diverse Learners, mm-hmm. who, who tutors people with lots of new, new diverse uh, needs, who are over 16 in college and work and university, She's got dyspraxia, ADD, uh, sensory processing disorder. We heard her story in the last podcast, but in this podcast, we're going to talk about some a, a particular thing to do with nursing, special education provision, and online video, and why they're such an important combination. She did some research on this uh, 12 years ago, and and she's accumulated a great deal of knowledge on this and experience on online video and the value of it. And I think we could all learn something from this in this season of how best to use online video tutoring to help children, teenagers, adults with that, that need learning support. So I'd like to introduce you to Kerry Pace. Kerry, it's great to have you here in the second part.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm a bit melty. So um, if I start jigging about and, uh, and uh, waving fans, then um, I hope everybody understands because we do seem to be in the middle of um, a bit of a heat wave.
0: Well, the people in America and Australia will probably laugh at you. <laughs> they would, they would. Yeah. So, so you're down England. What temperature are you at
1: at the moment? Too hot. That's the temperature. Okay. <laughs> Too they darned wrong. hot to use the right. um, temperature. So you're but probably that's quite... in the 20s. Well, that's quite interesting because in terms of sensory processing disorder, how I feel temperature is actually very different than a lot of people. So my husband always says you've got a very narrow band between sort of like 20 degrees and 22 degrees. And without if you're not in that little band, you're either too hot and swooning and fanning and stripping off or you're freezing cold and putting bed socks on and wrapping blankets around you and putting dressing gowns on. Fascinating. Okay
0: so in this segment we're going to talk about your research into mm-hmm. nursing and nurses who had dyslexia and yep. dyspraxia and dysgraphia etc who had special education needs. Yep. They were in college and they've been identified as having these needs but they weren't being met because of the structure of practical professions like nursing and medicine Mm -hmm. and all those different professions in the National Health Service. And they were falling through the cracks. So tell us a little bit about how you saw this problem. How did you identify this problem? Just bring us up to speed on that. Yeah,
1: so I was working as a dyslexia tutor um, at university. um, And my husband had just completed a nursing course at that university. So I had insight into how heavy he doesn't have any additional needs, and he really, you know, it was a very demanding course, very intense in terms of assignments. You were producing assignments at the same time as doing placements. So, some healthcare courses you have to do 2,300 hours of placement in a healthcare setting with shifts wow. and, and, you know, learning your skills um, over the course of three years. And some of some healthcare ones are higher than that. So, it's a very delicate balance. And what that meant was like it was they were in, when they were in university, it was a very full timetable. And when they're at university, they're doing shifts, uh, which of course, then if you've got a night shift the day before, then you're sleeping the next day. Or if you've got an early shift, you're not finishing till about three. If you've got a late shift, you're not starting to. And all of a sudden there's all these difficulties of managing time. And how do you then get access to -to one-to-one specialist dyslexia or dyspraxia support um, at the university because you might just not be able to because the university and it wasn't the only university the things are changing but the university was like 10 till 4 you come on a Wednesday at 2pm I wasn't that tutor I always used to get in trouble for doing what I did <laughs> I was very flexible um, but then also it closes in May and doesn't open till October But of course, you don't stop being dyslexic or dyspraxic from May until October. So people were going, perhaps if they had an identification already, I prefer the word identification rather than diagnosis. I feel it's less medical model, more social and inclusion model. So if they had an identification and they came to university, there is a thing called Disabled Students Allowance, which is a, a pot of money, for want of a better word, that would pay for equipment and software like mind mapping software, for example, and a person like me to work one to one. So in your report, their assessment it says, well, you need this and you need that. And one of the things you need is one-to-one support an hour a week. So they're entitled to about, because the long course is longer, 45, 47 hours a week, uh, a year, sorry, at one hour a week. But can't actually access it for, you know, 20 weeks of the year <laughs> because the university is closed and when they're on placement, when they're in university so I was thinking this is just this is this is not equity this is we need to enhance the support for this group of people so what was happening can you, was it, yeah? can you
0: clarify the word equity I'm, I'm from a property yes. background equity basically means equity in a property okay. but it also means equity in terms of fairness
1: fairness yeah so a lot of people use equality and we yes. have to be quite careful with equality because equal it's from the word equal treating people the same and you know if you're treated the same if you happen to be using a wheelchair or need a sign language interpreter then you know that equal that equal equal isn't fair isn't necessarily fair there's a very famous um image and if I had screen share and we were doing this a different way I'd show you the image and so what that is is it's um people watching a football match yes and there's a fence in the way and there's a tall person a medium person and a shorter person so the tall person can see it they can see it over the fence. The medium person can't and the short person really can't. And what happens is they, if you were equal, you'd give them each a box. You know, so therefore you're looking at Do who do you give the box to? Well, the middle person would need a box, but the smaller person needs more than one box. OK. So if you were treating them all equally.
0: Ah, they'd all get one box. Yes. And it would boost up the middle person and yep. the tall person equally, but not the little person yep.
1: yeah so the tall person can still see the middle person can now see but the smallest person still can't see now if you take as I'm very much about universal design for learning you know taking out the barrier to start with so it benefits everybody so rather than having a big fence that's wooden why not have a fence that is a um like in America the wire fences yes and then it doesn't matter what height you are you can all see Yes. The idea. So the idea is talk about equity. There was a sort of middle step where you give no, the tall person doesn't have the box. The middle person has one box and the small person has two boxes. But I still have a little bit of an issue with that because you're still making the person special. They're still needing an extra bolt-on adaptation. And I'm more about universal designers actually, let's change the fence. And then we don't have to think about all of these extra things and making people feel special or having special adaptions.
0: Love it. So well, let's go back to our focus here, which is um, you, you saw the nurses had this need. You actually did some research on this for how many yes, years? Yes, and
1: this is, this is four years. So this is the equity part. So
0: so let, let's get the time frame for the yep. listeners, because you've been doing online tutoring via video for 12 years now. Yes. And prior to those 12 years, you did this research that triggered The 12 years worth of. No, I
1: was, uh, it it started the other way around. I was using the video and the more research I did and the training I had, the more I was thinking, well, actually, you know, we really need to do something about this. I have the theory now. I have the access to um, um, knowledge. So what happened was is that in 2007, I said, right. Okay. We seem to have a very high rate of nurses coming in disproportionately. So for every one artist you might have or teacher you might have, we would have two, maybe three nurses. They were disproportionately, and healthcare, they were disproportionately represented. So I said, well, we need to kind of do something about this. Let's have a look and see if we can get any figures for nursing. And there were no figures out there for different um, occupations. There was some about art and it being uh, dyslexia and dyspraxia and ADD being overrepresented in art, but there wasn't any concrete evidence. So I said, well, how do we get these students support? Because they're not getting the support for the reasons we talked about earlier. And so I, we decided There's a group of us in a research, I worked with the nursing faculty and disability services collaborated, and we screened everybody at entry in 2007. So it was a cohort of 280. And if we were to go on the figures about dyslexia and dyspraxia, we'd probably be expecting 10% at the most. Okay. Yeah, so about twenty eight. people. 280
0: people, people yeah. you'd expect 28 of them to, at the most to, to show up as having signs of dyslexia yeah. or ADD. or
1: Yeah. So that's okay. adding dyslexia, dyspraxia and ADD together because you're looking okay. at between four and ten percent is what the re- what is commonly discussed. Um and we came back with twenty eight point seven percent.
0: Twenty-eight point seven percent, over a quarter, nearly a yeah, third nearly of Nearly a third, yeah. All screened as potential at issues at yeah. risk so yeah. what well, that was that must be seventy odds odd instead of 20 odd okay yeah. so
1: we made ourselves deeply unpopular because all of us because what we had we thought we'd get them on the first day we'd get them screened we'd get them a full assessment they'd get DSA and by set, by December they'd have all their support in place so the dropout rate would go down due to dyslexia and dyspraxia that was the aim so then when we found out we had 70 we made ourselves deeply unpopular because the finance department said how do we how do we now fund 70 educational psychology reports
0: oh wow so let's let's do the maths on this because this is This is something that's affecting America, UK, Australia. It's it's the same dynamic that you're actually experiencing in college. Now, it's interesting in college compared to school because colleges are incentivized to accommodate people with dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia because they end up spending paying fees, whereas schools are not. And in the UK, you get an allowance. My daughter got this uh, What's about two thousand eight hundred pounds or something like that.
1: Yeah.
0: So. But then before the two thousand eight hundred. You've you've got to do an, an assessment.
1: Ah, but is it an assessment? So this is what's really interesting, because in school they say, oh, you have dyslexia or dyspraxia, you've got me going now, Uh, dyslexia or dyspraxia, but they don't do a full diagnostic assessment. They do parts of the assessment to see if you fall under the threshold of 85% that would then qualify you for extra time or a laptop, for example. And they call it a Form 8. They fill it out on a Form 8. And so we had lots of students coming to us saying, I have dyslexia. And they didn't have a full diagnostic assessment. They had this couple of, they
0: had parts um, of... tests,
1: part of it. Okay. Um, and that didn't qualify them for Disabled Students Allowance. For oh, Disabled wow. Students Allowance, you have to have a very full, comprehensive, it's very clear, you have to have the signatures, you have to have head. You know headings. You have to have yeah. key key and things. Does it
0: have to be an educational psychologist that does it?
1: No, it doesn't have to be an educational okay. psychologist. It can be a specialist teacher, but you have to be on a okay. specific register, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you. put all your qualifications okay. down. So that was another barrier. So what we did is so we created you, a monster.
0: You found all of these people that potentially needed help. <laughs> they all needed uh, the a full need assessment to pay for um, screening and testing yep. of them all, and, and then the ta- once you yep. did that.
1: And at the time, it was £240 we had to get an educational psychology report per student. So you times that by 70-odd, and we're not popular. Also, what happened is that 70 people on the first day of university arrived at Disability Services saying, can we book a full assessment, please? Uh huh. So we filled our book up way into February, and we were hoping to get everybody through and DSA'd and into support by December. And we weren't even finishing the assessments until February and that's only just for one cohort on one nursing course there are a huge number of cohorts and there's a huge number of courses therefore there's other people coming in as well needing full assessments.
0: Okay so we found the problem what happened there?
1: Well apart from getting told off (laughs) we then wrote this we wrote a couple of papers on it and we knew that we had to do things differently so the idea was actually what do we do We, we, we put groups on so we put groups on as a response to people who weren't getting DSA. What,
0: what do you mean groups on?
1: So groups, so I would then share a group and I would ste- teach strategies to a group, maybe 10 or 15 people. Oh, who had so instead of teaching one-to-one,
0: you taught them as a group?
1: Yes, absolutely. Because that's the to only way we could do the numbers. it. numbers? Yeah, because we didn't have enough slots for people.
0: I see. Okay, yeah. got you. Uh, just by the way, um, with regard to your... Papers, are they still yeah. available? Could yes. people who are interested yes. see them?
1: Um, so I have a ResearchGate profile where I put all my papers. There's about 30-odd papers on there. And can um, the
0: public see this? Can we put it yeah, in the show you can. notes?
1: Yeah, so we can put it in the show notes. And Great, also, we'll those are on LinkedIn. There's some links to my papers on LinkedIn as okay, well. Okay, so
0: if you're listening to this podcast, we'll put Kerry's links to those two particular reports, direct links to them, hopefully. Yeah. And we'll also put in your LinkedIn profile um, so people can go deeper into this. So great, yeah. thanks, Kerry. Yeah, and there's also cool.
1: a whole load of videos on YouTube that actually discuss some of the issues okay. as well. So I've got a YouTube channel. So I'll send you all those links afterwards. So huh. what then happened is that we thought we've, 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 we need to do things differently. So we took a year out and wrote up the papers and then said, actually, what we're going to do this time is we're a new cohort, new lot of first years on their first day. We are going to embed study skills that I would do one-to-one with somebody who has dyslexia into teaching the whole cohort. So all 280 of them would get the study skills that were dyslexia-friendly and what I would teach one-to-one as a specialist, whether they needed them or not.
0: So you're basically changing the fence from a solid fence to a chain fence.
1: Yes, and this is where I got really passionate about universal design. Um, Worked a lot with a head island and, and... the cast in America, they might know it's cast in America. There's a guy called David Rose who pioneered this kind of way of thinking. So actually it's from architecture and, cha- and looking at the way people use buildings and being more inclusive. So instead of putting some stamps in, put a ramp in, yes it's very useful for people in wheelchairs, but also people with buggies, people with mobility issues, deliveries, and all of the rest of it. And all of a sudden your building becomes much more accessible and free-flowing. That's kind that's a very, very simplistic idea. So if you embed things rather than bolt them on, you are actually supporting an awful lot of people. And the results of that embedding meant I could team teach. So I was teaching the nursing cohort teachers how to use this. We were using nursing specific um, examples. So if you're on the ward and you think you might need to, you could write your notes up this way using technology. Everybody got my mapping training. We had to do it in groups of 50. Everybody got mind mapping training, two lots of mind mapping training. Everybody got training on um, text to speech software. Um, And we bought a site license of each for the whole of the university, which just didn't serve the cohort of nursing. It served everybody, all of the 15,000 students. And what we did is we we had to sell it as a (laughs) cheaper than screening everybody. (laughs) So it was quite an easy sell because we said, you know, we could screen everybody again. And there's going to be 70 people and there's going to be all this cost or we could embed it. And for the price of a site license, me training and team teaching, which you are paying me anyway, sort of buying me out of the one to one. We could do it this way. And we worked out that if we kept two students on the course just for the year, it would pay for itself in terms of funding for the second year.
0: So so explain that to me. If you kept two students on the course. Could you explain that more? Yeah. For me?
1: So every year, nurses bring extra money from the government to train nurses. OK, so each say n- each nurse is worth £3,000 to the university. We're going to be OK. Yeah. If we lost and we were losing a huge amount of nurses in that first year.
0: Tell us more about that. So you were losing nurses. There was a lot of dropout. How much dropout was there before and how much? more did it improve
1: absolutely so usually what happened was people who had a specific learning. we still did all the screening and stuff we just didn't do it you know it wasn't able to be spread out more so what happened was is that pre we were people who had a specific learning difference or neurodiverse profile were progressing about 45 percent what does that mean so if you're looking at 100 percent of the cohort yes you're losing 55 for every 100 Whoa! Absolutely. No, no, hold on. Let me get this right.
0: So you have 100 students start the year.
1: Yeah. Well, we didn't. We had a lot more than that, but yeah. But let's say you have
0: 100 students that started the year. Yeah. Only 45 made it to the end.
1: If they had a learning difference.
0: Okay. So uh, I see. Now,
1: the people who didn't have a learning difference, they were progressing about 67 68%. So there was a massive difference between those who were progressing who didn't have a learning difference and those who did.
0: All right, so let's put it in simpler terms for me. Um, of the 100, if you're a typical thinker, you had a, a 70% chance of making it. Ish, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a 30% chance of dropping out. But Absolutely. if you had a specific learning difference, mm-hmm. you had a 50-50 chance of making it.
1: Well, worse. Worse. He a, yeah, you had a 55 40, chance of 50, dropping
0: out. 45% yeah. chance of making it. Yeah. yeah. So what happened afterwards then?
1: Well, this is the exciting bit. And this is why we got all excited, because what happened was the top people, the people who didn't have a learning difference, carried on progressing at that rate, even after the input of the specialist study skills, because it was embedded and everybody had it.
0: OK, well, so you've changed the fence Sort of the so they could still see over the yeah. top and everything stayed yeah. the same numbers wise. Yeah. Got you.
1: Yep. Yeah. And so therefore, the people with specific learning differences, they actually progressed more or less at the same rate as those who didn't have a specific learning difference. So we wow. boosted so them up 20 percent, more 20%, than 20 percent.
0: Wow. So, OK, the number that I'd be really interested in if I was the university would be. Okay, at the beginning of the year, we started with 100 students for for ease of numbers. Typical learners or different learners, at the end of the year, what was the dropout for the whole cohort?
1: Yeah, well, it would have stayed the same for the same people, but you'd have had 20 more, 20 plus more people progressing because the people who benefited from that approach then progress so if you also oh, think see. so if you had a year one to year two yeah
0: if you're out of 100 you yeah. have 20 more getting through to the end yeah. because of that extra assessment yeah wow I mean I, I just want to pause a moment for that because I went to university a second time
1: yeah
0: that's when I found out I was dyslexic at 35 and when my assessor did the assessment she said you need to go on mind map and I said, well, I've been mind mapping since I was 21 at law yep. school. And she said, well, that's the reason why you managed to get the law yes. degree. You managed to be a teacher. You managed to do all these other things that you've done mm-hmm. and run a business and get to the place where you can go part time and, and yep. do a degree for a hobby while you run a business. And then I went back to the university, started doing it, and I saw other men who had given up their work to go to university and and Mm -hmm. give it another chance and then they get told that they're dyslexic but they're right in the middle of the flow Mm -hmm. and it's just so much and I saw so many of them just get spat out yes halfway through and I was like oh my goodness and and it's one of these strange things because I've got the paddle I've got the mind mapping I've got some skills to sort of paddle through the rapids mm-hmm. i've got these life hacks that i've learned through mm-hmm. you know life and and they're up the proverbial creek with yeah. no paddle and i and i'm I, like, I yeah. and, I'm, I'm, the, and, the and I'm the and
1: i'm the bridge i'm yeah. the bridge across that water You know, in order to get from one side to the other without even going in the water, I am the bridge. I am the one who can teach those skills that aren't taught explicitly. So if you think that's one cohort of 280 students, you've also got a year two, you've also got a year three, you've also got midwifery, you've also got all of these others. So you're talking about, if you ramp this up, to use that awful expression the prime minister's kind of like (laughs) stolen, if you moved it even bigger, if you did that for year one, year two, and year three, just of nursing, in terms of money, if the university is keeping 20% more students from each cohort, and that's 20% of 280, all of a sudden, you know, this is a really cost effective way of doing things. And it would would only take um, two students to stay on the course that would pay for me and the site license.
0: So, okay, so it costs, what they would make from two students ends up, getting them 20 extra students through the course that's amazing and i'm just thinking just thinking through the consequences that i i'm visualizing one man who i saw uh, crash out of the course i was doing and the pain it caused Mm -hmm. and and the disappointment the shame and so on and then you multiply that up by 20 and then you multiply that up by hundreds and these are adults yeah um
1: and then you add but the then, nursing shortage
0: into it. But yes, absolutely. And you think 20 more nurses and just in that the cohort and also doctors. Yeah, who and year up, two
1: and year three and at all the other universities. All of a sudden, this shortage that we have of nurses yes. can be uh, somewhat addressed as well.
0: And, and dyslexic nurses,
1: <laughs>
0: shout out for a dyslexic nurse, OK? Absolutely. I mean, dysne- dyslexic nurses, dyslexic ambulance drivers, dyslexic doctors, dyslexic...
1: OTs, um, yeah. ODPs, all of these yeah. dysle-
0: dyslexia adds an extra dynamic to their responsiveness to the job.
1: Right, you don't know this because I haven't told you, but I have a project called Diverse Nurses that has recorded di- nurses who have dyslexia and dyspraxia and other things talk- on my YouTube channel talking about the benefits and the positives of having dyslexia or dyspraxia or ADHD as a nurse. We challenge some myths there. So we kind of go, and oh, we don't spell backwards and we don't do this. Um, so we kind of get a little bit of a education in there as well. But it was about because it was just no positive voice, voices. It was all yes. like, oh, if you're a dyslexic nurse, you're going to make a drug error. Well, actually there's research out there saying that you were less likely to make a drug error. And
0: yes. why
1: would that be Darius, if you were less likely to make a drug error if you have dyslexia and you're a in your nurse?
0: I don't know. I think I have a hunch, but you
1: tell me. Okay. so if you know that you have a particular challenge, you are absolutely more likely to ask for help. You're more likely to double and triple check. You're more likely to wear a red bib. So the red bib says, don't interrupt me. So you're more likely to use a red bib because actually interrupting disrupts your thought patterns anyway. So that is that is why nurses who have dyslexia in this research made less drug errors because somebody was going that's all i ever get you're going to make a drug area how are you going to read the box Fantastic. all of that Fantastic. kind of stuff we'll
0: put that in the show notes as well yeah add a link so you can click through to that if you're listening this podcast is sponsored by DyslexiaProductivityCoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for apple devices so let's wind this segment up
1: okay can i just interrupt for two seconds third
0: segment but yeah Yeah. let's let's bring it to a close yeah
1: there's a project three yeah from this and then there's a project four and the project four was the skype project that then led led me to setting up diverse learners
0: ah okay so project one give us a recap project one was
1: screening everybody at entry
0: Okay, the first year. Yep. First the second
1: Project the two was screening everybody at entry, but embedding the study skills in the first module.
0: Okay, removing the fence into a chain yep. fence. Got yeah.
1: Project three was seeing if it's true. So we then took sports rehabilitation, where a lot of people go to train and then become physios. And there's a lot of vocab and there's OSCEs and there's a lot of similarities to nursing, but it was a small cohort of 30 and we replicated it with them and did the exactly same approach and we got the same results.
0: Ah, wow. Great.
1: And then four was basically the project and research I'd wanted to do all along was showing how Skype is a tool to supporting and enhancing the access to support for um, certain groups of students who were disadvantaged because of the course they chose or where they lived or whether they had childcare or financial issues.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. And because they didn't
1: take on the results from that diver- that project, the Skype project when I went this is the money you can save these are the people you can retain this is how cheap it could be they went mm. weren't very interested I was devastated and they made some comments about well you know get a grip and I just just couldn't believe it and I went home and the next day I resigned and decided to set up diverse learners because so, I believed in what I was doing so much
0: so basically the system didn't accept The evidence you were putting forward to it. And so you went outside of the system and started to do it as a small uh, self-employed business to support them as an external consultant.
1: No, they weren't interested. I had to set up completely on my own. So, okay, so how did you. So uh,
0: that that would be fascinating for me personally, actually, you know, because Bullet Map Academy is my business and I do something very similar, except mostly for eight to 16 year olds. You know, so (laughs) I I serve in Bullet Map Academy and we've got uh, Bullet Map tutors that help them mind map and get the skills they need. We also do it for adults as well. But what I'm interested in is so, How did you face that challenge of kind of being spat out by the system, as it were?
1: Well, it was perfect in many ways. I didn't think it was perfect at the time, but actually it was perfect. So I was working part time for this university and I was working flexibly and giving one to one sessions on an evening. And I managed to get that because I had an amazing boss. Then she left and things changed. But I was still generating income working from home. And it meant I could fit it in with my young child and my 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 husband and all the rest of it. So in the other two and a half days of the week, I thought, you know what? We need some more income. I'll set up and I set it up in a field at a festival with a complete stranger. I set up a Facebook page and they said, if you build it, they will come, that kind of idea. And they absolutely did. And it got to the stage where I was going, gosh, I've got so many students working part-time and I'm doing this for the university, very passionate about it. And so when they went, stuck the bees at me and that really that's what it felt like it just basically you know shut up go away you're not interested I just I just thought but I really believe in this how can I've played your rules I found the money I did it all your way which I hated I had to find funding from outside the university because they wouldn't fund me because I was support staff and academic staff there was all this kind of stuff and I was very angry and I went home and my husband says but you're already doing it babe you're already doing it have you got 12 students that you've seen part time at the moment? And I said, yes, I am. And they went, well, we can cover what the what the university would bring you. But then you'd also have, have half another week to fill up with students as well. So I went in the next day and I gave my resignation in and the person space went, Ugh! they could not believe I gave my resignation. And I said, what did you expect me to do? You disrespected me. You abused me. You you know, you, I felt they were nagged on a promise. We could be, we could have been amazing. That institution could have been amazing and leading the way. And I'd done all the things that they wanted me to. So I came home and uh, I resigned and then people were quite challenging to me. And so I got my union involved and I got out early. And then diverse learners are from that. And it's grown and it's grown and it's grown.
0: And so 12 years later, we're now in COVID. Yep. You've, had, you've had 12 years of teaching 100% exclusively yep. via online video to dyslexic, dyspraxic, dyscalculic, ADD, um, fibromyalgia,
1: all sorts of things. Yep. Yes,
0: yep. all of these people who need extra support mm-hmm. you've been doing it all via video. What lessons have you got to share with us when the whole world and no actually bring us up to speed with yeah. what's happening now because you're yes. part of the
1: NHS.
0: Yes, and and the, the National Health Service of the UK is now listening to you. And, yes. Uh, so tell us a bit more about so that. So in
1: 2016, I worked with a physio to, who was very forward thinking, worked in a, I uh, can't name the trust, but worked in a trust in the north of England to discharge patients via physio patients from their last one so you know when you've got to go for that last appointment and you're fine and you feel fine and you think why have I got to go all the way to the hospital for a five minute consultation that goes yeah you're fine and I've spent a whole day doing it so she contacted me I said well this is what you could do they went from a sort of like a 15% attendance rate for the last session to a 90% attendance rate for the last session, which meant they could pick up all sorts of things because
0: via
1: video, via video, because people yeah. don't have to travel. They can yeah. do it in the comfort of their own homes. People go, well, how could you possibly do a physio assessment? You know, I've taught yoga. I've taught all sorts of things through video, which now Joe Wicks are doing and all everybody's doing, do you know what I mean? And, you know, um, and so That then got me thinking about actually, all my students are beginning to graduate now. They are now in the workplace. Who is supporting them in the workplace? And so, a lot of them then got support through access to work, which is a bit like disabled students for the workplace. And then, part of that was like, it's all very well you telling me, Kerry, one to one, what to do. But then I go into the workplace and they go, oh, it can't possibly be done. So, I've been writing about this. I've been working with the NHS and large organisations in the NHS and attached to them. And they've gone, You've had like glimmers of hope through the through the wall, you know, little peepholes where some trust has done it really well, and they've gone, yeah, that's fine, and we'll put iPads in front lines and all of this kind of stuff. So I was putting mobile devices into healthcare placements in 2009, you know, and they're still arguing about it now. Um, and so what happened was is that COVID came, and it was like a bulldozer or a tornado. The wall was just It just went. It just shattered into a million pieces, and within three weeks. NHS staff were working from home via Teams, via Zoom, via Skype and all of those things that couldn't possibly be done, Darius, beforehand. What are you talking about, you strange woman? You know, and a couple of trusts, innovative trusts, kind of went, oh, yeah, this is brilliant. We'd be able to keep people in their jobs. People could be able to work from home when their kids are poorly or whether they're poorly or, you know, they could keep their health. Recruitment and retention is a massive push in the NHS. And I was saying, look, this is what you could do in order to retain your staff and allow them to have the one-to-one support so they become more effective and efficient employees and it's just it's just I've got so much training now NHS staff and environment agency and things like that are now approaching me and saying you know you offered to do some training and I've always said I can come to you in person but it's going to be three four times as much as doing it over video conferencing because I've got to travel it takes a lot out of me. So, one sort of two hour session in London is three days for me one to travel down there, one to do it, and one to recover. So, I have to cover those costs. And people would choose me in person every time, even though it was three yeah. times more expensive. And now people are going, you know, that training you're going to come and do, why don't we do it now, earlier, and train the whole organisation rather than just those who can meet in a room on a certain yeah. date? yeah And all of a sudden, yeah. the penny's gone. can do things differently so i'm working with fab ambassadors which is a group of nh people who are passionate about the nhs to make sure we don't go backwards so what have we learned from covid that is good and what we want to keep and one of them everybody's saying is this different way of working it's not for everybody and it's not for all the time but it is meeting the needs of a number of people absolutely and it's part of a package of support
0: okay i've got some uh selfish questions to ask you here on behalf of some of my students okay so for example I've noticed with a lot of my students in Bullet Map Academy that are dyslexic they have great difficulties with biology yes and I don't know if you've noticed this as well and I imagine you have so here's the dynamic that I'm seeing right Mm -hmm. they're they're often children who are you know 12 13 a lot of girls in fact really passionate about nursing doctors they need biology Mm -hmm. they they're doing physics they're doing chemistry (laughs) and so on and biology but biology keeps tripping them up yeah and it's often because I think you have to be so specific with the words and getting the words in the right order they're all Mm -hmm. like you know passwords and codes whereas physics you've got a lot more general principles you can extrapolate from which is something we're much more natural at with dyslexics go down to first principles extrapolate out whereas biology there's a lot of that but a lot more of these words and so on now that relates to nursing as well
1: absolutely so so. they call it anatomy and physiology
0: they have a and big, so a big
1: core, a big core do or die. So basically, you, if you don't pass the exam, you're off the course it's anatomy and physiology. And okay. it, they call it the a and exam. And it was just like devastation on my husband's course. Like, you know, I think it was nearly 50 percent of them just didn't pass that course. So what we looked at is I do a lot of my mad mapping of body systems so i do a lot of my mouth. i do a lot of medication and the and so the process of the medication getting into the body we look at so i have this oh where is it here's one i made earlier so we have like a little address book a very small a to, a, a to z address book this is for nurses they could have a bigger one this is so it can fit in their tunic pocket and what's gorgeous about this is like it's got a to z down the side okay so if you look at that it's got like a, oh my god this is where my left-right orientation gets very difficult. So it's got oh, – can't do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it word. hasn't got the name and address. It's just yes. a blank page with A to Z. So what yeah. you could do is you could put – if it was pneumonia, for example, you could put pneumonia under N, if that's where yes. you think pneumonia is, but you could also put it under P. Yeah. So you could then break down the spelling of it. So in pneumonia, what words has it got in it? What actually – which syllable is it? Actually, do you know what? When you break it down, you've got the, you know it's P-N. And, you know, it ends a certain way. It's just those, you know, which way does the E and the U go around, for example?
0: Okay.
1: And so we use color coding. We use highlighting. We use my speech and language comes in here. Um, We also do physicality. So we also like think about our bodies. So we touch our bodies. We pin stuff on our bodies. We get bones and we label bones. For example, we use bite size, which has got an amazing 3D So you can manipulate where things are and you sort of drag it on. And if it's livers in the wrong place, it pings out. But if it's in the right place, it stays where it is. So there's lots of multi-sensory. Yeah. So we're making sure people are seeing it. They're doing it. They're hearing it. They're saying it. Um, Lots of colour, lots of physicality of actually thinking about it. Lots of YouTube videos. There's a great um, guitarist who's got like a song about how to learn certain systems. There's this great book called Great Ways to Learn A&P. So I'm just walking off screen to get my one of my favorite books. Fantastic. The Great Ways to Learn A&P is full of little mind maps. Okay, okay. so Great Ways to Learn A&P is, um, I'm just trying to think, one of my, so they say, look, this is, this is how you could have your body systems okay. in a mind map. But actually, let's make those body systems a bit better and add color. Let's then add pictures. So. This is another one. So this is how you can learn all the Uh glacial things. So great ways to learn A and P is great. So different parts of the skull, for example, all color coded, but they become the center of the mind. My favorite one is the digestive system where it actually ends in a toilet and poo going into the toilet and pee going into the toilet. So I like the fun of it. Oh, there we go. So there's, you could learn the digestive system like this where you're labeling all the parts. But if you look at the color, The colour transfers to what the process is. So yum yum yum, apple goes in here. Yeah. Oh, left right orientation. Then the stomach, and you can see the stomach's that colour. What happens in there? And it's pepsin and renin. But I like to think as Pepsi makes you all fizzy and bubbly, and Reni you take to calm it down. And then can you see it's got a poo. It's got it going out into oh, a toilet for poo and a toilet for week. Toilet. Fantastic. Yeah. So we look at things very, you know, she's done the hard work for me, Charmaine Kusick, who did this. But there's so many mind maps in here of like, what do you have to do in a sudden illness? And it looks, a. you know,
0: yes, algorithms,
1: yeah. mind maps. And she's really presented in it a great way. There's these, a digestive system crossword
0: okay. it really helps
1: you get the letters in the right place. So there's lots and lots of different techniques. They need to be multisensory and they need to be chunked. So they need to be broken down into tiny little pieces and built up gradually. It's also so you can basically go
0: up the gears of learning. Absolutely. Your, yeah. yeah. And so, Quizlet,
1: Quizlet Flashcars, you ever use that site? Yes. Brilliant Quizlet um, is in terms of being able to test yourself in multiple ways. So you put the information in, in terms and definitions, making sure they're very small. Okay. And... You can learn it, you can write it, you can play games, matching games, it makes it into tests, multiple choice question tests, it makes it into true false question tests, written answer quests. So when you're thinking about recall and recognition learning, so recognition learning is when you're on, um, who wants to be a millionaire or the chase, for example, and it goes, you know, what's the capital Bulgaria? You're like, I haven't got a clue. And then they bring up the answers and you go, oh, I know, it's C. So that is you recognize the answer. And that's the first step that we do a lot in our uh, A&P, anatomy and physiology learning. You recognize it. And then in the chase, at the end, you don't have any of the questions or in mastermind, you don't have any of the questions, any of the options. Yeah. No and options, that would yeah. be recall. You've got to pull that out the back of your head. You yes. Know, so you, who wants to be a millionaire? They give you a little bit of a chance. You know, there's four and you can use a lifeline and you can reduce it to two so i think it's either a or d yeah
0: so,
1: you know so we also pair it with recognition learning first through my mapping then into recall learning because then as you build up you get to the recall stage and then like your medals that you showed me earlier you then on to the next stage yeah and you learn a little bit more recognition well, learning' so that's often, where you know, goes to recall
0: that's where i found that that jump from recognition to recall often the best thing I find is doing doodles.
1: Yes, absolutely. Because it
0: solidifies it and drawing the maps by hand and they become memory maps.
1: Absolutely. So I've got my whiteboard here. Today I was doing this with a student who was re- you know, re- writing a PhD dissertation. And we were doing the planning of their PhD dissertation through this i was doing collage with somebody yesterday who's doing a master's in counseling and the images that come to her when she's counseling and we had bits of string and she had buttons and we had flowers and at one point we went outside and picked some flowers to put in the collage it's all about making this multi-sensory as possible
0: yes i've got a final question and a selfish mm-hmm. one uh, for one of my students mm-hmm. or uh, people i know she wants to become a midwife oh brilliant but- She's dyslexic and she has consistently failed maths and biology. Yeah. And twice she's tried and she would just be the most amazing midwife. You know, what advice would you give?
1: Okay, so first of all, midwifery is very competitive. I do have uh, uh, people who have gone the the nursery first and then done a master's in midwifery. And gone that route because it is so competitive if you have dyslexia and dyspraxia i have midwives who've got dyslexia and dyspraxia and they are on that diverse nurse practice diverse nurses youtube channel so that you, it can be done i would look at alternative assessments in terms of getting the maths and biology um so recently i did a dissertation with somebody and they did it verbally and um, they were able to present their information verbally because they just couldn't quite get it in the right order in the right time and covid was happening and there was a lot of difficulty so i would look at alternative assessments there's also the access to access courses at university which don't require you to have some qualifications they teach you in access a certain level of you what you will need and a lot of people who don't have traditional qualifications go in that route it is a longer route of course but it is a particular route and with your maths I would, uh, and your biology, it is not necessarily about recall, but it's also about exam strategy. Yeah, I think people massively underestimate exam strategy. So my daughter, my youngest daughter has rest breaks. The extra time doesn't help her. The rest breaks and having a prompt does. So when she gets overwhelmed, she has a rest break. She walks away from what she needs to do. If the uh, if the invigilator sees that she's drifted off, they just go, you know, you need to get back to your work. My eldest had extra time. She did biology at A, a level and she had extra time. But I wrote a blog called uh, called Is It a Blessing or a Curse?
0: Yeah, extra time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because extra time can exhaust you. At one point, they wanted her to do three exams back to back. And I'm like, well, when does she have lunch? When does she have a break? All the other people are having lunch breaks. You know, they're having breaks between exams. And then we say, oh, well, she'll have to come and stay the night at a um, teacher's house. I went, oh, no, she won't. You know, so th- and what happened was is that we we ensured that she was in isolation between exams. So she would come home. And if she had to sit the exam the next day, she wasn't in contact with anybody who had that exam. But there's this blessing or curse idea where they think extra time. The establishment well, think extra time is the solution and it will solve everything. But it's, it's not about it's that. Not, it's about it's exam not. technique, having grades skills. and skills. Absolutely. Yeah. And biology is taught in a particular way. It's a very flat subject. I don't know if that makes sense to somebody. You know, you look at the diagram in the book and you listen. Yes. You know,
0: two-dimensional Two-dimensional. And Absolutely. really, it needs, it's a three-dimensional subject. that you exciting of a subject. a three-dimensional way. Yeah.
1: So I don't know if you've ever seen Alice Roberts' Christmas lectures. And I just, I could have kissed the woman. The first thing she did is we sat down for the Christmas lectures. The first thing she did was bring a horse into the lecture theatre. I'm like, cha-ching, and then started drawing all over the horse beautiful wow you know I mean? yeah. just massively massively different so it's all about being hands-on making models labeling models we um i uh, we got a cloth for one point and it was like a tabard and then we made livers and hearts and lungs and all the rest of it and it all had velcro on it so you could stick it on in the right place but also the tabard at the back because the tabard at the back the view from the back of the body some of the organs are hidden well, you yes. can't see the you can't see the kidneys from the front. The kidneys don't live here; they live back here, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Above your hips at the back, and when they do the drawing, they're at the front, aren't they? Thank
0: you very much, Kerry. That is fantastic. It, it's been really rewarding to hear about all of that. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast. We're going to do a third part to this podcast where we talk about the extra. The, the the technology you started talking about it and the the assistive tech and things like yes. that so let's changed do that my
1: life. Yeah. yeah absolutely um but there is a blog on my website diverse-learners.co.uk that is called assistive technology is just technology and i wrote that back in 2013 so some people might want to have a quick look at that prior to the next podcast
0: Great, we'll put that in the show notes. Kerry, it's been fantastic having you on the show. (laughs) Yeah, we'll say goodbye to the listeners. See you, listeners. Bye. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note taking, reminders, speech to text, mind mapping, and more all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me. And if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.